and welcome to So Farscape. A fun-filled Farscape fan cast by a fervent fan. And a fascinated first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And this, this is, is the story, story So Farscape. Farscape. We're back to, like, it... I mean, it's not exactly fun-filled, but... Well, yes, no. It, it's it, a, a bit of a, well, a whodunit episode, I would say. Fascinating. Now, you've already claimed that, that superlative, so unfortunately oh. we can't ascribe that to the episode. Oh, we can. I mean, it does fascinate me every yeah. week again, so... This and this episode. one, especially, Kay, I've been so excited to share this with you because uh-huh. we're we're doing the ugly truth. And as we were sitting there, like I have, as always, we have our notebooks with us and we take detailed notes. And I was just sitting there, okay, yeah, I've already like plotted out how I'm going to structure my notes. And I've got little subheadings and, and bullet points. And I just kept glancing over and like halfway through the episode, you had like three lines. I'm like, what is going through his mind? <laughs> I guess I was just like watching it more than actually writing down things. Yeah, I... Uh, and it, it sort of sucks you in, doesn't it? It does. But also, I, f- I, f- I found that I've, over time, started taking fewer notes mm-hmm. because we've got the gifs to look at, and that helps a lot. And I'm only writing down real questions that I have for myself or things that I note or uh, potential willies and uh, woodies. See, you wouldn't make a very good pl- pl- placavoid, then, would you? A placavoid, yes. So, <laughs> okay, we'll get to that later. Yes. Welcome to uh, Season 2, Episode 17. The Ugly Truth, yes. in which... A game of Clue, where everyone's got a point of view, will have me and you asking, what is true? When an attack on an it alien rhymes. vessel ends in a drippy interrogation. Thank you, Wookie, for that one. <laughs> oh, and we have, oh, Greg, uh, Rashomon in space. Can any story be believed, or is eyewitness testimony inadmissible in court? He had Rashomon as well. Like, yes. Oh. I was okay. He said that independently of my own clever synopses, of which I'm very proud. Yes. Because last time we didn't have any listener synopses. When a negasonic teenage warship turns trigger yes. happy, it's time for Space Rashomon to find out the truth. Yes. Also, referencing Rashomon, a fantastic Japanese film, which I admit I have not seen. Uh, nor I. But so it's called the Rashomon effect because in this in this Japanese film, the same event is shown as narrated by different viewpoint characters. Yes. And so it's slightly different every time, mm. much like in this episode. Yes, it's, it's a method that's been used before. I've seen it, definitely seen it in other movies or t- TV series. Uh, Rashomon is from like 57 right. and, and uh, is the okay. foundation uh, for this, uh, uh, ah, this fantastic right. trope. Because, yeah... How about we we talk about sort of the framing device first, the sort of encapsulating story, mm-hmm. and then get into the testimonies because those are really interesting to examine. Oh, very much so. Sounds like a great idea. Music. So it centers around an encounter with Crace and Talon. They're back. Yes, it opens with Crace uh, standing on the bridge of Talon. Cal Tenagachivoko. And Eren first entering the uh, command. Yeah, he says the invitation was for all of you because apparently, hey, it is apparently not very hard to find Moya. Stark no. found her, but Grace finds her. I mean, right? What? Why hey, is Scorpius. why is Moya so? Oh, yeah, but why is Moya so easy to find and talent so hard? Yeah, I suppose maybe they. I mean, we don't know what Grace has been doing. He might have been laying low, whereas uh, Moya, of course, is still visiting commerce planets and doing other things around the galaxy, like you know, marrying yeah. princesses. Well, not Moya, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, she just goes and meets God, a capricious deity. Yes. Oh, hey, no crew with Grace, unfortunately. No, so, no, that that was a bit of a disappointment. I kind of figured that he would like gather some people around himself. Oh dear! Oh no! 
Well, still, it's it, it's cool to see him again. Aaron is slightly mistrustful, and he invokes privacy mode, taking off the neural transponder on the back of his neck and yeah. handing it over as a show of good faith. Basically locking down Talon. My mind and Talon's are no longer joined. I am, therefore, defenseless. In order to parlay, because it turns out that he would like to have Talon's main cannon replaced. Yeah. So he's concerned that Talon is prone to violence yes, and that he's becoming struggling. too aggressive. Yeah. And so he would like our hero's help to convince Talon to have his cannon replaced with more like a dampening net, I think it's called. Something like that. So yes. it's a non lethal weapon. It's the only Plakovian weapon that isn't lethal. Yes, it's uh, like we, I think Star Wars would call it an iron cannon or something oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, very good. Because yeah. meanwhile, uh, Chiara and Rigel are still on, on Moya, sitting on command, looking out of the viewport. Has he grown? And Pilot oh, is so proud. Yes, he has grown. grown yeah. And she observes, wow, his, his cannon's certainly grown. Yeah, trust, be- <laughs> trust her to notice that he's got a... Oh. His uh, cannon sure looks bigger. He has indeed grown. He's got a big cannon now. It's quite not, respectable for his age. Not a little boy anymore. <laughs> but so the issue is, another spaceship arrives, seemingly out of nowhere. Mm. Talon opens fire. Our heroes pile back into the transport pod. But before they can get here, a second Placavian uh, uh, ship arrives. Yeah, yeah. Pilot identifies it as Placavian. They go, is that good or bad? And without hesitation, he says, bad. 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 Very Bad. The, and unfortunately, they're snatched up. The transport pod gets grabbed by Matrix-like tentacles, which reach out from the underside. Yeah, None of this docking web BS. They grab the ship. Everybody on the transport module uh, does the uh, Enterprise shake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They get shook about. The uh, Australian Guild of Teamsters set about with all their sparklers, uh, and everyone is stunned. Cue credits. So they are now being interrogated by the Placavians mm-hmm. to get to the truth and find out who's responsible for the destruction of their ship. Was it Talon, Crace, John, Aaron? Like everyone except, I guess, Pilot Moya, Rigel, and Chi are suspects. Yes, because the aliens are disturbed by the fact that their comrade ship got uh, blown out of the sky. And they want the truth. Yes, uh, and they and- want justice, I suppose, or at least their v- version of justice. But... It turns out that there's really, like, no one terribly to blame, because even though Stark... I'm of the Bannock slave race. ...tried to, to use the weapons console, John had already shut it down. Well, we don't learn that until much no, I know, later I know, I know. in the episode. I'm, I'm yes. saying, like, let's resolve how, how, oh, how it okay. actually happens. Yes. Because then we can, like, focus more on the motivations for these uh, right. uh, for these testimonies. Yes. John uh, the, uh, Stark was moving to uh, fire at the ship because they are evil weapons dealers who arranged for the subjugation or destruction of many planets, including his own. Yeah. Their weapons have helped enslave many worlds, including my own. Their weapons have helped enslave many worlds, Including mine. They're, they're horrific weapons. He lists them every time with increasing levels of panic. Depending on uh, who's telling the story. Mm. But yes, he was trying to reach for the uh, console to fire, but John uh, struggled with him for it, managed to shut the console down. Not knowing that by shutting down the console, uh, it returned to autonomous control of Talon. Which means that Talon was, in fact, the perpetrator and uh, shot the uh, 
alien weapons merchant. Turns out because uh, one of the things that the weapons merchant had on board was some sort of gas, which is one of the six forbidden cargoes. Novatrin gas, which like dissolves you from the inside Inside, out. He thought he was protecting Moya. And that's it. Like, it's sort of a misunderstanding, but it's Talon's fault. He right. did it. He chose to uh, to destroy that other ship. Showing what Grace said, that he was turning quite aggressive. Because yeah. many times during this episode, Grace says that, like... Despite my best efforts, Talon is becoming more aggressive, more destructive. He has been trying to restrain Talon and to teach him that this weapon should only be used as a measure of last resort. Yeah, which everybody has trouble believing until now. Mm. And this is sort of a, a theme for this episode, like people not really believing the truth. So Dargo misplaces the blame on Stark. Like he's yes. still uh, uh, got resentment towards Stark for being the bearer of bad news, really. Yeah. He's very abusive towards Stark and he regrets it. In the end, only after he's uh, he's faced the truth does he really, like, he feels so guilty about it. Mm. I misjudged Stark. I thought he was trying to save himself, but he was really trying to save us all. Also, it should be noted that Talon, immediately after shooting the weapons merchant ship, starbursts out of there, leaving Moya and everybody else uh, holding the back. So that's the only part that we don't really know. We don't know whether that was Talon or Krace. Mm. Because Krace turns out, has a second transponder. Yes. I have another. You fooled us! Turns it back on. He and uh, uh, He's back in control of, of Talon. Dismisses everyone. Now get off my ship! Yep. Well, and then, so we don't know whether Talon wanted to leave or whether Grace gave the order, but yeah, he's gone, and uh, that's all we've seen of, uh, of Talon. And now... We are treated to a bizarre sort of uh, a game show set with a water tank and a huge, great big fuck-off drop-off. Yes, uh, they're on some sort of platform hanging in a big dark room. Yeah, a, a hubcap, as John calls it, a hoobcap, as uh, Dargo. <laughs> some kind of floating hubcap. Hoobcap. It's a little bit like the sky prison concept that you saw in uh, the, yes, Game of Thrones. The it's sky like, cells, the slight incline, so you can never just rest. No. You're always at risk of falling off. Yep. It's an incredibly stressful environment. It must have been incredibly stressful to shoot in as well. Okay, they're pretending that it's a huge drop-off, but I'd be surprised if it's more than a meter or so. The production notes that I have are a little bit weird. Like, the visual companion mentioned that the crew spend a lot of time suspended 30 feet above the studio floor, which I don't completely buy. Okay. But maybe they were talking about the water tank, which is a real, like, water tank that they wheeled into the studio. I guess they'd have to have some room in there for the lift mechanism, which is used to uh, transport the prisoners in and out. Yeah, that's the central component of this uh, this hubcap. Hubcap. But it lifts up and you've got these uh, these bars. I thought it was was really cool. There's only a few pieces of set that you see in this episode, but they're Mm. really cool. Yes, everybody except Dargo is awake. And the moment that he wakes up, he immediately goes for Stark. Once again, yep. he's good at in for Stark. Just he does massively. Bearer of bad news, yeah. Kill the messenger. Uh, Everybody's there except for Aaron, because Aaron is in a weird sort of pop art obstetric chair. 
Yes. With her legs up in these sort of finger stirrups where I guess you can pick, like, which of those stirrups you want to put your ankles yes. in. And I loved how John later kind of just, like, sits and puts his feet on them and he's, like, completely yeah. not doing the whole, oh, I'm sitting here vulnerable thing. No, I was, he just crosses his ankles. I was a little bit worried for John for when it was going to be his turn if there might have been, like, you know, flashbacks oh, to dear. the uh, yeah. Aurora chair. So I was kind of, like... Sitting there wow, waiting for yeah. like, oh, what's going to happen when, when it's John's turn? Is he going to like freak out? Is he going to uh, flash back to those things? But no, he was completely calm and a little bit sarcastic as uh, he tends to be lately. Lately, do I seem a little crazy to you? Yeah, I mean, that was his defense mechanism in the chair as well. True. And at least this one didn't yeah. didn't hurt. No, this is just like show, show them things and record testimony. Okay, so we get, let me see, I've got extensive notes here. We get a few testimonies. We start with Aaron, mm -hmm. then it's Zan, Stark, Dargo, and then John. And each of them has a slightly different tone. Mm. While the person in question has been isolated as being interrogated by these Placavians who were sort of creepy, hooded... We don't find out what they look like until much later. In the first yeah. the first half of the episode, we only see them like almost like they have like long forearms as well, which like yes, run into all the way down into the water, which turn out to be walking sticks. Yeah, and they wear these huge hoods, which kind of reminds me of Lex. Uh, which one in Lex? The uh, the dark council, whatever they're called. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, the, uh, the attendants to the to his oh, dark... Oh, yes, those uh, monks. Yes. Yes, yes, I know what you're talking about now. Also. Very much, uh, very much like, uh, reminded me of that. And occasionally you see these, like, drips coming off them that sizzle as they hit and the they could, water yeah, that they're wading through. Walk for a little bit milky little droplets which spread out, which yeah. turns out to be pus or something dripping from their faces it looks hey, what was what were you thinking was it the pus that was acidic or was it the water that was acidic that's an interesting question i hadn't really considered that oh, okay i'd say it's the pus because i mean why would you flood your floor with water unless you're trying to protect it from the occupants walking around and dripping on it all the time so fair enough yeah it's a it's a really weird design this, yes. was, this was something that the director tony tills wanted and dave elsie despite the fact that he loves a good makeup challenge sort yeah. of pushed back like wait that makes no sense. If they have, if their flesh is melting, like what is that? What's that like? What what happens to them? How long would this species live? But maybe that's just their aging process. Or maybe yeah, they've yeah, they're weapons merchants. They might have had like a little sniff of their own medicine. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, so these, I have a note here. Um, this geriatric slime polizai, the geschleipo. <laughs> Are, uh, are, are questioning our heroes who are in these sort of obstetric diary chairs. And then we get to see what this scene looked like from each of their perspectives. Mm. And it is so fascinating to see what they think of everybody else. Right. I noticed that everybody sees the others a little bit like they are themselves. Uh, oh. When Zan is telling the story, everybody is very calm and collected. Oh, wow. Uh, That's a when, fascinating When Dargo insight. is telling the story, everybody is kind of aggressive and... Uh, belligerent yeah yeah uh, yeah when stark is telling the story everybody's kind of scared and uh and in Aaron, everybody's all business yes ha huh. okay but there's a deeper layer there because not everyone is trying to tell the truth or in particular everybody is trying not to, to tell, tell the, the truth. whole truth every, yes but from a different perspective because Aaron, her idea is it was an accident it yes. must have been a malfunction that's just 
Yeah, just just move on. And she's she's the only one who's really observing like the correct protocol when you're being questioned by the authorities, mm-hmm. which is to give no more cooperation than you are legally required to do yep. without consultation with a lawyer. You're lying. I am not lying, and I don't want to see anyone dispersed. Not even the guilty party. There is no guilty party. I'm telling you, it must have been an accident. Ridiculous. Yeah, she's constantly saying, like, well, I don't know, or, yeah, this is what happened, this is what I saw, and doesn't elaborate very much on questions, as, again, you're supposed to. You're only supposed to answer the question that you're asked. Because we see the same scene that we saw before for a large part, but much more close-ups. When we saw it originally, it Mm -hmm. was much more uh, wide shots, and now it's close-ups on individuals, and cutting back to Erin, where you can see her, like, studying the scene around her. But there's, there's a wonderful gif that I'm definitely going to be sharing that is just her like looking left, blink, looking right, looking left, looking right, like <laughs> keeping an eye on everyone. John looks especially aggressive, I think, toward Grace. He's John and Dargo both. Dargo is especially unreasonable yeah. in her view. Peacekeeper lies. And Zan is useless. Well, I'm not sure I agree. Yes. I'm going to have to think about this and... Perhaps even meditate on the subject. Right? This, these are her opinions of everyone. Zan is just, oh, 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 maybe it's the... No, Zan is completely irrelevant. Dargo is hysterical. Enough thinking. If we really want to help Talon, then we should kill Chris. And John is... I mean, it's really kind of... He does sort of sexy bullying marching around uh, around Chris and getting a little close to him. Like, yes. But the actual attack in her version... There's nobody to blame. The ship arrives, there's a scan, a cool hologram that we get to see a few times. She literally says there was no one near the weapons console. No one near the weapons console. We don't believe you. Uh, Which is, of course, a lie, as we learn later. Yeah, because we see uh, Stark approaching it, but in her version, she stopped Stark. So we know, or at least... We assume that John was telling probably the closest to the truth because that was toward the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So she must have been covering for John. I also noticed that in her version, she gets dragged off the bridge by John. Yeah. Which is interesting. In all versions, she is trying to get control of Talon by yes. like saying, like, maybe we need another captain. Then let me communicate with him. I'll teach him to behave. Officer Sun, Talon trusts me. I sure don't. Crace always counters that with that talent trusts him and nobody else. Peacekeeper lies. Before the next testimony, we have uh, we have Chi and and Rigel having a little argument. Yes, because Rigel is uh, trying to raid the food cabinets again. Yes, and like Chi is going like, "Why aren't you in command?" It's like, "There's no food on the command." And besides, they're not like they're not even responding to our hails. I loved all the props that that Rigel get. Like, like oh, he, he had his little he had his little moustache um, brush. Moustache brush. Yeah. The, the last time it was so cool because Moya has. I mean, she's kind of abandoned our heroes. She's yes. off searching for uh, for talent. Yeah, which was something which puzzled me a little bit. Hmm. I mean, talent starbursted out of there. Yeah. So I mean, we know that they have a certain minimum starburst range that they can yeah. do. And still they were, like, you know, doing a search pattern without starbursting. So you'd think that they'd have to, like, take a significant amount of time to travel back and forth. Yeah, it's spacey-wacy because, the, you know, yes. the last time that there was a, a random jump, it took them, what is it, 18 months? We spent the last quarter of a cycle searching for you. To make their way back along all the inhabitable planets along their track. Yeah, exactly. And, and this time, and just how does space work? 
who knows mm. it's it's just sort of but hey pilot says it's a it's a spiral uh, search pattern of his own devising well yes. then it must be good <laughs> i mean how do you make a three-dimensional spiral what how do you make a three-dimensional spiral this is space you're going right. to have to like search in three dimensions wait just this weekend we have had a negroni which includes peeling an orange right so, but That's then you a three-dimensional spot. Right, the- but then you have to do that in multiple layers because oh, you have wait, to, you yes, have to okay, search you- in spheres, not in... Right, that's the exterior of the sphere, and you have yes. to get to the interior. Oh, interesting. I'm sure that there's a mathematical formula oh, for that. Oh, certainly, but it like makes the, the amount of searching and flying around like you have to do increasingly uh, large. We are following a spiral search pattern of my own devising, which maximizes the possibility that, that we, we completely lose our bearings and never find our way back to the others. Hey, Stark managed it. Who knows how, how long it took him. But yeah. Do not question us. <laughs> Aaron is released back onto the hoop cap. The uh, the center, yeah. sort of, the core of the apple comes up. It's this, like, pole dancing cage or whatever it is. It's like <laughs> go-go dancing cage, which rises up out of the hoop cap. <laughs> uh, yeah, her go-go dancing is rubbish. It sort of yeah, marches she out. She stands there a bit glumly. And... Crichton runs up. Oh, I missed you so much. Yes. Play along. I missed you too, John. Hold me. She is such a bad liar. <laughs> oh, yes, Crichton. Oh, how much I have missed you. And trying to whisper to each other. Yeah, we're being watched, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, and then she says something about, like, trying to get this, keep the story straight. And I kind of missed what exactly happened in that exchange. I told them no one was responsible for firing Talon's weapons, that he must have malfunctioned. It's not much of a story. Only one I had. They don't get a lot of opportunity to to strategize because they know that they're being watched, they're being listened to. They they just can't confer to get their story straight. Right. Uh, And I noticed that Zahn is is summoned next. And I noticed that she's incredibly timid and almost fearful as she gets into the uh, cage before it descends. Yeah. And I noticed she had the same effect when Stark was going down. She also had the little... Nervousness. I'm, I assume it's just like past prisoner trauma. I mean, she's been interrogated before, so she's I not looking as, forward to that. Yeah, I thought that as well. She's been uh, she's been incarcerated by her own species, also again on Litigara, which was very traumatic for her. But she's specifically looking at Stark. Mm. They've grown quite close, yes. uh, as we've seen. So, yeah, as she's descending, it's Stark that she's looking at. And, yeah, again, when Stark descends as well. But even then, uh, when she's in the chair, she's still very timid and soft-spoken. Uh, that's one reason Grace um, called for us. And because she is lying. And she is the worst, the worst at lying. Because this story that she spins is one where everyone is very reasonable. Yes. And very... Even Dargo is completely, like, yeah. quiet and, like, listens to what John says, and they're all very much in agreement. Uh, and they're uh, pro-Placavian, like, oh, it's Placavians. Ah, yes. Oh, I've heard of them. Quite far advanced technologically. Strong believers in truth and justice. She explains to, yes, to Stark. which is completely different from what happened the other the first time round. Yeah, and when the ship arrives, like, she and, and Stark gather around the hologram. Oh, yes, it's a beautiful ship, isn't it? Yes, 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 very aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, imagine being, like, this is the kind of thing that you have to be prepared for if you get, like, arrested in North Korea. Mm. You have to make sure that you pepper in enough, like, praise for the glorious leader, or is it the genius leader at this Ugh, point? Because I'm if you sure. don't, then you just sound so suspicious, because a normal person would talk about Kim Jong-un all the time and how great his haircut is, <laughs> that he hasn't lost weight, and we have enough food. Yeah, I had a great breakfast before I came here this morning. Uh, There's something I noticed about Zan's testimony, or at least the filming thereof. Yeah. The person who's speaking is constantly out of frame. Okay. 
I was really fascinated by this. Like, maybe this was just a stylistic choice by the director, mm-hmm. but maybe this is also something that, that Zan does. She doesn't bother looking at the person who's speaking. She looks at the people who are listening. Ah, yeah. That which is sense. a really interesting way to go through life. Like, it's it's something that I find myself doing when I'm watching these uh, these episodes. I find myself sort of ignoring who's speaking in favor of who's listening to them and seeing their performances that normally you'd miss. So who is, what is her story for the canon? I think she says that it, it goes off all by itself as well. Weapons console malfunction. No, no, stay away. We have to disarm it. You might set it off. It's a malfunction. It's like a malfunction, in her, yes. In her version, there's a few bits of dialogue that, uh, oh, Grace says that uh, he's been malfunctioning more often lately. Peacekeeper lies. And, oh, yes, it must just have been a, a malfunction. So that's in line with Aaron's story. Notice, by the way, how much Dargo and John are touching each other in yes. her version. Suddenly just They're buddy casual buddy. shoving and, like, this is apparently something she's noticed about them. Their relationship has been developing quite uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they had a lot of antagonism between each other, but once they had their little head-to-head and decided to accept each other as uh, comrades in it's, arms, I suppose. Yeah, it's really grown since then. Or maybe this is just, you know, spillover from her private fan fictions that she writes in her own little diary. That's possible. Yeah. I'm sure she is not I the mean, only one to do uh, Dargo slash Crichton. Uh, who is the one who accuses of Dargo thinking with his mifongs? Um <laughs> Yeah. I will not be a party to this. Why not, Dargo? What if he's lying? What if this is just a trick to get even worse weapons aboard Talon? Oh, yeah, that, that's a good point. Dargo makes a good point. Dargo is thinking with his mivonks again. But, yeah, in, in her version, there's absolutely no one there. She's the one who suggests that everyone has to leave. There's a there's an adorable moment. As everyone's leaving, John and Aaron are clutching each yes, other as I if they're staggering that. around. Yeah. <laughs> When Kreis uh, reactivates his neural link, the guns come out again, the sword guns. Talon's interior defenses, which somehow seem to be, like, cryogenically preserved because there's a puff of, I mean, it looks like like flame retardant foam. You know, it's, like... Well, it's just gas, I think. Uh, yeah, but there's also these sort of flakes, like oh, you, you, know, you get off. from a, a, a fire extinguisher. Well, that's that's, the one that that's probably off. just uh, bits of ice falling off if it's uh, indeed uh, chilled. Oh, fair uh, enough. You see that when uh, when a rocket is launched as well. You see the ice which is formed on the outside of the tanks because of the cryogenic fuel. Oh, wow. You can see it uh, falling off. Uh, weird to have that inside the ship, but okay. Uh, I mean, inside the ship you have, you know, if you have a chilled line, it will form condensation and it will freeze. And then when suddenly that gun starts moving and it gets jarred, then that ice will break off and fall down to the floor. So that makes sense to me. It does totally make sense because they are very cool. So, oh god, okay. that's a joke. <sighs> Wasn't funny. <laughs> so, Stark is next, and Stark he has a specific agenda. He wants to save everyone there, yes, by specifically blaming Crace. Crace isn't there, and even though sending the Placavians after Crace would endanger Talon, he still <laughs> likes the crew better than he, he likes. He literally says that I care more about uh, Moya and the crew than I do about uh, Talon and Crace. Uh, do you think he's telling the truth there? Ooh. Uh, because does he care about the rest of the crew or does he care about Zan? Hmm. Because he owes the crew his, his freedom. Yeah. I guess specifically John. Maybe yeah. that he's the most uh, fixated on, even though he didn't really seem to pay a lot of attention to John in the last two episodes that we've seen. No, but even if it is Zan, only Zan, he cares about the rest of the crew because Zan cares about the rest of the crew. That is true. 
In his version, it's very, very cut and dried. He's a, an ex-peacekeeper captain who abandoned his own people and abducted Talon. He's completely power-mad. The reformed Crace is just an act. Crichton wasn't buying it either. Crace is smug, even more smug than, uh, than Normal, usual. Yeah. His, uh, his lines are unambiguously aggressive, and when Great. the Plagavian ship arrives... He says the deal is off and opens fire. Mm. Grace, your ship is still active. Never mind. Our deal is cancelled. I cannot permit that. The contract stands. Back on Moya, <laughs> Rigel and she are bored. Like she's just flopped over one of the one of the control tables, just bored, bored, bored. Uh, yes, with Pilot and Moya, who are still uh, uh, searching for Talon. Uh, I also noticed that Pilot was getting very snippy at a certain point here. Yes, don't question me. Click. Turns off the uh, uh, yeah. clamshell. Well done, Chiana. You could have a fine career as a diplomat. Well, you, Rigel. <laughs> Given your excellent way with words. <laughs> Back on the hoop cap, Dargo is pacing back and forth, snipping even at John. Yes. Watch your step. It's a long way down. Keep bothering me and I'll test that theory by throwing you over it. Just trying to cheer you up. Don't bother. Chill, brother. Yeah. Stark has returned, gets harassed by Dargo even more. Who thinks that he would have sold them out. Matt, yes. Knocks his mask off, which I don't really understand how that happens, because it's like fastened around his throat with a, a belt. Yeah. So I'm not quite like, sure how that can be knocked off without breaking that, which it clearly doesn't. really, yeah. Stark <laughs> has a bit of an episode because his eye is even more uh, volatile than normal. Yeah, you see the sort of glowing energy that we've seen before, but it seems to be bulging yeah, out. Yeah, it's, sort roi- of like- it's roiling or uh, rolling boil almost. He seems to be in pain even. Because he needs his mask to control it. He can control it, but apparently only if he's prepared for it. Yes. And this- so uh, Zan manages to snatch his mask before it goes over the edge of the hoop cap, puts yeah. it back on. And yes, he, he mentioned that... My physical form is only part of my reality. Much of me is energy that I can control and project. And when he's not, he loses control of it. He seems to be apologetic, which is so weird. Mm. Well, maybe he knows what he's done, and he seems to be... Or maybe this is just a little bit embarrassing about for him to uh, be out of control like that. Or maybe he's hugely radioactive, and it just hasn't mentioned to everyone that he's just sterilised them. <laughs> and none of them realise what he's apologised for. His lead-lined mask, yes. <laughs> oh, no, that's horrible. The man in the lead-lined mask. We could call that the episode, call that the episode title. Ooh! Not a radiation. Gives her photogasms. Well, she's faking it. They can do that, you know. Hey, Zan, you faking it? <laughs> no. Oh, no. The next up is Dargo, who very threateningly says, I'm going to tell them exactly what I saw. Mm. And his testimony was my favorite. Okay. Because the sort of body language of everyone on right. Talon's Bridge is fantastic. Like, he's standing there, super confident, a hysterical sort of panicked bannock behind him, yelling, no, we mustn't. He's like Igor. Placavians? You firebot? And who are the Placavians? Uh, barbarians, murderers, builders of horrific weapons. Uh, shadow grenades, Novatron gas, seismic disruptors. They're felling savages who deal in death. Savages? That was the word he used. And everybody else is also very much Dargo-ish. And that's what I meant when I, what I said earlier. When every, in everybody's 
testimony, everybody else acts a little bit more like the person who has given the testimony. Yeah. In this case, like, they're all backing him up. You've got yes. Dargo with his arms crossed, Aaron and John standing behind him, John agreeing with everything that he says. <laughs> you know what I think? I think you are right. I noticed that as well with Zan. John just agrees with everybody else because they all have ideas that never occurred to me. Oh, wow, that, I, I hadn't thought about that. He, he's such an idiot in Zan's eyes. Good point. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, that's that's a good point. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Just bumbling off behind each other. Whereas in Dargo's testimony, like, he's the captain and everybody else sort of scooby-doos behind him. Oh, tell me you've changed your mind. Don't deal with them. Stark is panicking. Stark is going like, oh, they, they destroyed worlds and they're going to destroy us. And uh, yep. we have to fire. And he uh, hits the weapons console and blows the ship out of the sky. We can't let Chris get near these monsters. We have to strike first. We get a cool shot through uh, Talon's window of the, the ship blowing up and one of the Placavians being smacked yes, against the window the and shattering. First time that happens. Wow. Yes. Stark frowned you, Christ. And back on the hoop cap, Stark's worried about what Dargo is yes, saying. because he, he knows that Dargo's going to throw him under the bus. Yeah. And they start talking about, like, how do you think they'll do it? Because the punishment is execution. Yes, maybe they'll use that, uh, uh, what's the gas called again? Novatrin gas. Novatrin yeah. gas, yes. Eat you alive from the inside out. Aaron says that she heard them talking about dispersal, and that catches his attention. Yes, because he thinks like, well, I'm part energy, maybe I could survive dispersal if I'm prepared for it. No, I don't believe it either. No. Like, there's, a, it's, yeah. oh, there's a moment where he really inspires hope, but then he comes back down like, no. Well, uh, he, I think he's convinced that he might be able to survive it, but not the thing that he talks about that he doesn't think is possible is then maybe somehow coming back to this reality. Yeah. I think that's the part that he doesn't believe at all. Oh, good point. The other part, I might have to put some uh, fanscape fun bucks on that. Oh, no, do you want to do that? Let's pause. Hold on. Yeah, make a bet. If we're going to see Stark again or not. Yeah. So... How are you going to phrase it? Oh, because last time you one. even put like a number of episodes on yes. that. And that's kind of shackling yourself. I know. I'm not going to do that for this one. But it's but... going to be within like you can make bets up to the end of the ep- uh, season. Oh, in that case, it's off. No, we're not going to see Stark this season. Are you going to place a bet on that? Oh, are you going to say that we're not going to see him? Because that's our, hey, works, this, works both ways. Fair point. I mean, I suppose I can. I mean, I I would like to put some fun bucks on that we've not seen the last of Stark, but. All right. I'm not sure that will happen before the end of the season. Enough waffling. Will okay. we or won't we see Stark before the end of the season? Okay, I'll put 50 bucks on the fact that we won't see Stark for before the end of the season. Noted. Rien ne va plus. <laughs> so back on Moya, Chiana actually goes and visits Pilot. Yeah. And has a, has a face-to-face. She's a, she's a little bit timid uh, approaching him. She goes, hi, and uh, how's everything? Is, are you and Moya all right? I'm sorry I yelled at you. Because... Chiana always responds well to people who are emotionally honest. Mm. And Pilot finally going, hey, leave us alone. This is what we're doing. She appreciates that because even though they're not being rationally honest about their motivation, they are being honest about their emotions. And that's something that she can handle. Mm. And she can sense this, this anger comes from fear or guilt or whatever. And she wants to help with that because that's kind of what she does. She, she gets people to be honest and then... And, they, and honest with themselves, I suppose. And so, like, she's the one who gets Moya via pilot to admit that they feel guilty about what happened. They feel responsible because Talon is her son. Yes. 
uh, and therefore she feels responsibility for what he has done. And Chiana says, but don't you also feel responsible for your crew? Like, what if they've been let go and, and they're, or they've escaped it, and there's no one there to pick them up? Yeah. And Moya agrees. Yeah. Uh, Pilot says, like, oh, Moya uh, understands what you're saying and she agrees and we're going back. Plotted a course to head back to the, uh, to the ship. Apparently also not that hard to find in space. Well, apparently as long as they uh, assume that they're still on the same spot and then they haven't starbursted, so their navigation hasn't been scrambled. Oh, yeah, So therefore point. they should be able to fly back. It's John's turn in the chair. Yes. Fetch the comfy chair. And the chair has a new ability, which is aside from shining lights in your face, it can actually project somebody else's recording onto your face. It's such a cool effect. I, yes, I suppose that's just like meant to be showing you what the person in the chair is seeing. In it a, always in, 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 is. Yeah, in yeah. A, it's like, you know, when, when you're someone in standing over... films. Yeah, computer console, they see these green letters projected on their uh, face. That doesn't work unless you're staring right into a projector. But even then, like, you're not seeing anything that's being projected onto your cheeks. You can't see with your eyes because that's not where your eyes are. Exactly. The fact that it is being projected on your cheeks means that you're only seeing a very bright light because you're only seeing those few pixels which happen to hit your eye. In this setup, it's so brilliant because it's almost like, oh, what's that That, that sort of uh, holographic like projection on buildings? What's it called? Yes. Oh, the 3D Something mapping. mapping. Yeah, 3D mapping. Because the eyes are matched yes. and, the, and the chin is matched to a very great degree. So when Dargo's testimony is projected on, on John's face, we get to see him with his, his braided moustache and his chin tentacles. Yes, or with a beautiful golden flecked blue skin when it's Zahn's uh, testimony. And they, uh, now they are trying to get the true story out of John, and they are confronting him with things that the others have said. Something that they haven't done with the uh, during the other testimonies. Yeah, they're they're confronting him with, hey, everybody's testimony is inconsistent. And he goes like, well, of course it is. Like, if nobody has perfect memory, if you guys have a fender bender, do you get ten different, uh, ten identical uh, recollections of the story? And apparently, yes, at least they claim so. Yes. And yet somehow they're still open to him giving the unvarnished truth as as he's seen it, makes them a, makes them a deal, they accept it. Uh, this is the first time that we see the Placavians, yes. or the Placavoids. It's Placavians, John. In all their glory, their sort of flesh melting. Uh, I think they described it as uh, their flesh comes unglued oh. and sort of sags, and that's why they need to live in a high-humidity environment okay. to prevent themselves from saliva. I have no idea how that works. And uh, I still think the floor is just wet to catch the drips and make it easy to like cl- get things cleaned off. But I love how John just kind of like casually sits in the chair with one leg up and yeah crossing his legs and sort of lying back like a hammock he's like well he's like me in any kind of chair yes. or the, the the meme on twitter that bisexuals don't know how to sit in chairs which is <laughs> yes uh, which has given rise to the bisexual chair which is really great it has sort of like these pads on the side that you can flop down so you can sort of sit side saddle oh, nice. or cross-legged or an extra support under your butt it's it's really great i want one at first, he's like t- uh, trying to, to spin a tale, and then he agrees that he's going to like. Okay, I'll tell you exactly what I saw. It's like this is the unvarnished truth. This is as it happened, or at least as I saw it happen. And it's remarkable how much of that overlaps with everybody else, including stuff that I thought was stupid and made up, mm. like Dargo's idea that he was standing there with his arms crossed, and Aaron and John were backing him up. That's basically it, except in John's recollection, he was he, him and Aaron were standing in front, and Dargo was backing them up. But there's still this sort of triumvirate, this this unit of strength. And he's still, like, he goes and stands to the side of Dargo. It's, it's weird how everyone seems to think that Crichton is on their side. 
Yes, that is in, in, in fact. They're like, they have their antagonisms with everybody else, but Crichton's always the one who's like with them. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't considered that. In this case, the story pretty much goes down the way it has before, although everybody is a little bit more like themselves, I suppose. Yeah. And it ends up the fact that, that there's a struggle at the weapons console. Between Stark and John. Yes, and Stark actually does, in fact hit the weapon he did in fact want to fire yeah but john says that in the struggle he uh, disabled the console you assert that stark did touch something at the weapons console after i shut down the console with the safety on stark couldn't do a thing he did not fire the cannon nobody did and so pushing the button did nothing but Dargo only saw him push the button. Yes. Didn't see that the, the console had been disabled. And that's how I saw it. And so, like, the resolution is nobody really did it. He still no. doesn't know. It goes back to Aaron's story. It was an accident. It was a malfunction, I suppose. Which is not the conclusion of the Placavians, who, throughout this whole part, everyone in his testimony calls them Placavoids. Yes. I, okay, so I, for a moment there, I was like, <laughs> The Placavoids? Are you Farbot? Who are the Placavoids? The Placavoids are an evil race. Did something change? What's, <laughs> yeah. what's, that really confused me. Because, like, wait, that's not what they were called. Like, why, are they, why do they suddenly have a different uh, name? Because he's telling the story. Right, and yeah. he can't remember alien names. Tavlex, Tavloids, like P- he thinks. Placavoids, oh. yes. <laughs> oh, that must, that must really frell with your Babel bugs, with your little translator microbes. Oh, yeah. Tavlex. Whatever. On the hoop cap, we have Aaron... Zan and Stark sitting together and Dargo moping on the other side, ignoring them. And they're talking again about the possibility of surviving uh, dispersal because Zan points out that creatures like Maldis... Can be dispersed and reform. Exactly. That's what she did to Maldis. She only dispersed his energy, but he still managed to uh, to reform and eventually made his way almost into our realm. Mm. John has returned in the go-go cage. And the Placavians arrive to deliver their verdict, which is, if no one can be determined to be guilty, you're all guilty and you will all be put to death. Yes. The executions will begin immediately. Which everyone protests to in, in their own way. But it's Stark who jumps up and suddenly claims responsibility. Yes, I did it, it was me. You freely confess your crime? Yes, I do. Unequivocally, he jumps on the hand grenade for everyone here. Mm. Perhaps none more so than uh, than Zan. They try to stop him, but he claims full responsibility. Climbs into the go-go cage, takes off his mask. Everybody else is uh, no. Everybody else. Oh yes, that's yeah, right. The, the aliens accept this. They disable everybody else, which causes them to. They're sort of magnetized to the hubcap. Something like that. I think yeah. they're still conscious. They but are. You can see them breathing, yeah. and I think you can see eyes moving. Oh, in like fact, so, yeah. You can actually see Zahn tracking him with his eyes, and John as well, I believe. Uh, he takes his mask off, and his eye is almost entirely black now. As he's standing in this cage, which is clearly a composite, like, you see there's a shadow over his face, and later on there's, there's shadows over uh, from the bars over mm-hmm. all of his faces that are just, like, composited in because hey, it's the 90s, and doing, like, a CGI face replacement is difficult enough without, like, stuff in front of it. Like, that was hugely expensive and not something that they could afford then. Uh, He puts his mask in Zahn's hand. I thank you all for the great risks you took to save a mere Bannock slave. Your acceptance, your friendship, has meant a lot to me. 
and after a short speech where he talks about his uh, his gratitude toward the toward the crew and taking responsibility a light glows from above and apparently like this is just the dispersing chamber because it's got yep. these sort of nozzles on the side and it's just kind of like he he turns into glitter and the nozzles kind of just blow that glitter away because otherwise your hubcap would get all I guess, glittery yeah. i guess you, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to mess up this dispersal all over the place I mean, you, you, again there's probably water on the floor oh but then your water would get contaminated with all the yeah, but it's already got the pus dripping into it, so I'm sure that it's got some sort of uh, clear cleansing system built in. And our heroes are left to fly off and ponder, ponder what happened. Uh, mm. This is where we get the resolution that they've pieced together. Now that they're actually able to talk to each other, they piece together what actually happened and realized, yeah, it was Talon. Crace was telling the truth. Peacekeeper lies. Stark sacrificed himself, something that Dargo is immensely guilty over, and no one is happy. No, yes. It's it's miserable for everyone. And we get a surprising number of sort of button scenes. You know, uh, you, you always oh. have the sort of come down at the end, but we have one that's in the uh, transport pod. We have Dargo and Chiana, Aaron and John, and even Zan at the very end. They all get their own little button to resolve what they went through. Because even though it's a very contained episode, it's not quite a bottle show, but yeah. they've only got the, the two major sets and two off-screen characters who barely interact with our, uh, with our crew. By the way, what does that feel like? When you're cast, okay, what does the casting call say? It probably says something like, oh, alien investigator. Ooh, I can do that. I've done, yes. I've done some procedurals before. All right, cool. Now, okay, what kind of costume do I get? Because you've by this time you've seen Litigara and you've seen the uh, the woman with the sort of gigantic licorice Head. all sorts hat. Yes. Go, okay, well, hopefully the hat's smaller. And then you see this hood, okay, which apparently was made out of packing material okay. for, that the costume department gets for, for rubber pieces. Fair enough. I thought, oh, well, that's and then, cool. Oh, yes. Yeah, now you have five hours of makeup before you Yeah, series. we're going to make you real drippy. We're going to make you super gross, and no one's ever going to want... Oh, and the episode is called The Ugly Truth, and that's going to be you. Have fun. <laughs> have fun with your, like, only credit. Damn, yes. Speaking of credits, uh, this is the third and final episode to be written by Gabrielle Stanton and mm-hmm. Harry Works, or, or Werks. Uh, the other ones were Home on the Remains and My Three Crichtons. Okay, those are pretty old episodes at this point. Both of them were oh, in this my, season still. Uh, Home on the Remains? Yeah, that was with the Budong. Uh, oh, with Chiana right. yes, going yes, back to sorry, her, uh, yes. her old life. For some reason, I thought that was uh, Little House in the Perseus arm, but that's... Uh, <laughs> that's been a while. That yeah. was I-E-T. Yes. I'm talking to an alien. You're an alien, and I'm talking to you in my kitchen. But yeah, these are, these are pretty high-concept episodes that really delve into character relationships and, and, and backstories. Like, apparently, there was a lot more backstory in this episode about what Crace and Talon have been doing that would be, like, as the director received various drafts, this one would have a lot more backstory and that would be removed to focus mm. more on the relationships. But he'd still have that in the back of his mind. So even though we as viewers don't really know what the uh, what Talon and Crace have been up to, apparently, like... The, the crew direct- might have yeah. you know that, yes. So, yes, Dargo's moping about his son, and Chana is coming to uh, give him a little comfort about that. It's a complicated scene, because Dargo is also feeling guilty about how he's treated Stark. Yes. And especially, like, confronting himself. Like, what have I become in my years of loneliness and captivity and searching for my son? Have I become so uh, jaded that I don't recognize help when it's given? I've become so distrustful of people 
even when they're trying to help me. What does that say about what I've become? What does that say about me? Yes. It's hugely oh. confronting. And especially that it took something as dramatic as somebody sacrificing his life Wait for, for that, yes. yeah. It's also the first time that she sees Jothy. It's got that... Uh, oh, yeah, I guess. You'll find him. I know I will. But only because Stark came back to tell me where he was. John and Aaron are having a little heart-to-heart as well. Talking about, like, the possibility of surviving for, uh, for Stark. Yes. But also... He's asking her, Why didn't you try to finger Christ? And she says, well, that would have endangered Talon. Talon, yeah. And he hesitates, but he asks, So you were protecting Talon? Of course. And that's it? Yes. He's a little bit, he's Ooh. sort of probing for a little bit of jealousy because, I mean, the last time that he saw Christ he and Aaron had a bit of a conspiracy going yes. on while he was recuperating on that on that asteroid. He still has no knowledge of our arrangement? None. It might facilitate matters if you explain to him. No. Eventually, you'll have to. Only when it's too late for him to interfere. And Zahn is clearly distraught at uh, uh, Stark's uh, demise. Gives his mask a little kiss. Cradle, and- yes. She's not doing any rights or anything. She's just like holding it against her. Just feeling yeah, mourn- what she needs Mourning to feel. his loss, I suppose. Yeah. Oh. oh, yes. Bit of a downer at the end, wait, at the end of the episode. See, this one, I didn't feel so... so um, it didn't feel so hard to call this a fun-filled Farscape fan cast. Because, yeah, okay. it's a bit of a downer. We've had those before. But it was... Oh, well, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I really enjoyed seeing it because the first time around, I felt that this was sort of paddling in place. I felt that this wasn't really moving the plot along where we just got the, (gasps) Dargo's found his son, he's going to find his son. Oh, now we've got this, we've got this episode of the week, as you've called them before, which I think is a great term. (laughs) Episode of the week, and like, oh, just get on with it. Oh, we're just getting the same story over and over. And now I just got to really enjoy it. Yeah, I really enjoyed how everybody's, no, not personality changed, but their behavior and the demeanor changed very much between who was telling the story. Yeah. Like uh, you really get to see what they think of each other. And I think your observation is so, so cool that everybody projects their own flaws and strengths onto everybody else. Which I find it very interesting because Kreis was surprisingly controlled in Dargo's version. He was very yeah. composed and to the point. Uh, yeah. I have not misused Talon's power. I've only fired in self-defense. Which is I kind of we, weird because yeah. we like he was super aggressive toward Crace yeah. when they met, which we all also remarked doesn't really feel earned by their backstory. Like we don't know that they've ever met before. Yeah. As you can see, I am unarmed. As you can see, I'm also unarmed. <laughs> You always said you wanted to kill me. We don't necessarily know that Dargo even knows what Kreis looks like, but then we find out, oh, he did. And then now, yeah, he's so focused on throwing Stark under the bus. The hubcap of the bus goes up and down. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, a few other things I noticed. Rigel seems to be getting some upgrades in his performance because we see a lot more shots of him floating around in his... In his throne in sled, In his throne yeah. sled, and where he's kind of just like bobbing about and it doesn't look like he's badly composited in there. Uh, yeah, very good. I also think that he's recently gotten an upgrade to his, uh, like, just to his facial complexion. Mm-hmm. I think I noticed that in Beware of Dog, like he has more more sort of dark, blushy, green tones. He has more of a, I guess, salamander skin. It's sort of, it's sort of red to me. He looks yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Hey, it must be all the brushing he's been doing with that and, giant brush and, that and, he's got. Yeah, and so did Gianna. I think she might have had a little uh, makeup upgrade as well. She looks a little bit more bluish, not quite so completely... Uh, grey. Ho- uh, yeah, completely grey. She seemed a little bit more lively in that regard as with her makeup. I, I got that impression in certain shots. Might I mean, have just been the lighting, but... Certainly. Uh, uh, it's it, it's complicated makeup. Like, it's not just different shades of grey that go over her. It's different shades of blue and pink that are layered mm. on top of each other because your own face, certainly like a, 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 a red-blooded young woman like uh, uh, Gigi Edgley, like, you have blushes in certain spots that require more coverage but you also don't want it to feel caked on it's a it's a fantastic like i wonder if they kept sort of a script of how to apply probably the the makeup i i'm just saying that right now i really want to see that it's probably incomprehensible code of like oh yes uh, do eve's rush number seven on the uh, yeah exactly on 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 this grid coordinate of the (laughs) lower left eyelid (laughs) or maybe or maybe they're sort of process photos. Maybe that's how oh, they did it. That makes sense, yeah. This is layer one, layer two, layer three. This is yeah. how you do the ears. This is the sort of boob window, because I, that's all, or the clavicle, yeah. which is for both of them quite an important area. Of, I believe it took them four hours, we were once told. Yeah, like yeah. Four hours in the makeup chair to do that. And it's not just like, yeah, just roll it on with a paint roller. It's. <laughs> <laughs> God, I'm sure they, they wish there was, there was that sort of technology. So... Willies and Woodies. Oh, okay. She gives me a Woody. She gives you the Willies. Yeah. I guess my Willy goes to the alien makeup. It's like the the, the, the <laughs> pus fade, the, the, the pus drippy. Yeah, the black the, the slipo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, the, that's like that's just kind of gross. Dave Elsie was inspired by uh, uh, sort of exploitation films like uh, uh, The Incredible Melting Man, but he still wanted oh. to do his own thing. So it's not just. It's not just like the skin melting, but it's all these lumps of tissue underneath. Yes, as if it's, they're kind of like drooping skin and yeah. like little nobules, which are then probably pus-filled, and when they burst open, they drip out, and you've got this ugly yellowish goop running down their faces. Oh, <laughs> horrible. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, it's someone's Woody, right, who really appreciates sort of oh, the of makeup course. effects that right. go into this. Oh. Or, you know, maybe that's just a look that they really like. Okay. Yeah. Woody, I think it's, that goes to the way everybody's acting different in everybody's tale of the story, and not just the the sequence of events, but also how the, right. how the personalities. I, I really enjoyed okay, that. Okay, so I guess the Woody goes to the writing or the directing? Like how I would suppose. You, who yeah. would you credit with that? Because, I mean, the script, each scene was clearly marked with who was narrating it. Right. Uh, so that they'd be able to, so that the actors could decide how they would be performing through the lens of Dargo Zan, Aaron, John, and so. So I'm assuming a lot of that goes to the directing. 
Right. Because I can, I'd say that a lot of it is the director's role in saying, like, okay, so telling them, okay, in this scene you're dragging, John is dragging Aaron off, and then the next scene they're kind of huddling together. And I assume that's yeah. not all in the on the actors. I assume a lot of that is direction. No, I think you're. I think you're right because the script has hopefully been worked out logically, but it's up to the director to keep that straight, even yeah. when they're filming it out of order. Uh, Lani Tupu mentioned that uh, you know we were going kind of tropo on the set. Tropo is apparently slang for cabin fever slash heat delirium. Oh, in oh tropical as in tropo. Tropo. Yeah. Aussie yeah. yeah. slang. Everything is is oh. I've, I've, I've gone. <laughs> This arvo for afternoon or a smoke break is I've gone smoko. Yes, and we've gone to the bottle o, as in like the off license. <laughs> I hadn't even heard that one. Then you've got the Macca, which is the McDonald's, but Oh, and in French that's McDo. The McDo. Okay. Le McDo. Okay. And in Japanese it's Macadonarudo. Anyway. <laughs> Enough uh advertisements for uh, big corporations who aren't sponsoring us. Get on with <laughs> yet, it, guys. Yet, hey, hey, we live in hope. It's interesting to actually give your Woody to the director, Tony Tills. That's, yeah. that's your first Woody. Congratulations. I so. Oh, I'm struggling with, I'm struggling to even find a Willy because I, I, can't, I can't find one. Right. I, I love it all. Uh, but I have to give a willy somewhere, so I'm going to have to do something unconventional as well, and I'm not going to award any willies okay. to this. There's just nothing that, that, that sort of upset me, and I guess I'm going to, do, I'm going to stick with the, the unconventional approach and give my woody to a bit of behind-the-scenes information because I can't choose. No. Uh, obviously, like, my favourite shot is where Dargo is standing there with his arm crossed and John comes up behind him and sort of backs him up and they look like, like the sharks or the jets getting ready for a dance fight. <laughs> um, but everything came together and I totally fell in love with this, this episode when I read Claudia Black, who talked about this episode. Yeah, it was a bit weird to film because most of the cast and crew had just been to see Galaxy Quest the weekend before. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) And that was in their minds like, whoa, that's what sci-fi can be? That would be amazing. That would... So, yeah, that's a lot of Star Trek uh, thing going. I mean, their Galaxy Quest is pretty much only riffing on Star Trek. Yeah. It's like there's a few little uh, hints and nudges at other things, but it's basically Star Trek they're riffing on. Oh, you know what? Ooh, I found one. I found a willy. Oh, yeah? And that is Stark's demise. Uh, Not so much Stark's demise, but he's been absent for so long, and his reintroduction was so casual and sort of... I want it, yeah, poorly handled. Mm. I've got to say, I didn't feel his loss, even this second time around, yeah. loving this character. And I was sitting there halfway through the episode thinking like, oh, I wonder if we've got a new uh, semi-permanent crew member. Right. And, and we thought th- that before. We thought that when he, you know, came aboard in uh, in, in Nerve and then just no, vanished off screen. put and on now. a bus. So I couldn't feel it enough as no. much as I wanted to because of those. And it's the consequence of those earlier cuts, right? Not of the script, but yeah. like failing to include his return scene, making enough of a, a, a thing of that. So I think that's where my willy goes. It's weird because it's outside of this episode. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the story, story so far. Escape. We'll be back next week with episode 218, A Clockwork Nibari. <sighs> In this episode, finds our Druk's penchant for a spot of the old ultraviolence tempered when they are forced to an aversion therapy treatment where they are forced to watch reruns of Andromeda. Okay. Thank you for that, Chris. Yeah. And good job trying to keep it completely, like, spoiler-free, even though the episode is called A Clockwork Nabari, but... 
if you want to submit uh, your own synopsis and maybe have it read on the air, please, please, please do so. Go to sofarscape.com slash submit. There's a handy dandy form. Uh, and if you want to chip in and help us uh, keep the lights on and maybe fund our, our kitty for absurd additional books or, or, or whatever we can, uh, we can find, join our Patreon on sofarscape.com slash support. There's gif packs and uh, fan fictions for you to enjoy. And we're at Soulfarscape on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. Soulfarscape, so good. good.